G'day, I'm Jason Belmonte, and I'm gonna to talk to you about socks. Now, when you compete for up to eight to 10 hours, these are the pair of socks that you want. Belmo 300, made by Thorlo, worn by me, hopefully worn by you. Available at belmosocks.com. Hi, I'm Lindsay Boomershine, brand manager of High Five Gear. H5G has thousands of designs to choose from and no hidden artwork fees. How awesome is that? Have your jersey tell your story. Order online at www.hi5gear.com today. Add H5G into your wardrobe and show off your individuality. Use code ABOVE180 at checkout for $20 off any H5G style. Order today and enjoy high5gear.com. Hey, bowlers, Bowling This Month is back. Bowling This Month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at BowlingThisMonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling this month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Hi, this is Norm Duke. You're listening to Above180.com with Tim Berg. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me on the Above180.com podcast is Mike Shady. For more about Mike, you can go to ppbowling.com. That's ppbowling.com. Mike is a member of the USBC Hall of Fame, and he also coaches Team USA. Mike, it's Tim Berg here. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, thanks, Tim. It's, um, it's always a pleasure and exciting to talk bowling with you. Mike, as people begin to receive their USBC Open Championships checks, Many people are talking about the 2020 tournament up in Reno, where in minors we're going to have some changes, where it's going to be four on a pair versus a six that we've seen now for some time. So let's talk about that. And what advice do you have for people as this change comes? And what can people expect aside from, you know, kind of the obvious changes to the lanes, maybe not uh, breaking down quite as much as, as what they did when you had the six? You know, Tim, I, I think it comes down to, you know, what they're going to do if they're going to change uh, maybe the – the pattern or uh, whether it's the length or the volume, because you've got, you got two less guides, which means you got less play. Um, now, if they change the pattern, uh, let's say they shorten it or they put less volume, you got more hook. You know, I can see where your thing becomes a little bit more prevalent, more popular, especially for the high rep players uh, to a point where they, they could probably bowl most of those two events uh, with urethane and when those guys can do that that's a huge advantage you know, just less transition um so that's a possibility however if they if they keep the pattern the way it's been the last couple two or three years um you know i, I see slower transitions uh, i don't i don't think you'll be able to move well you you won't need to move as quickly and as much which could creep the scores up a little bit you know, if you, you can get locked in with the right angle and the right bowling ball and, and have less transitions throughout those two events, uh, you know, scores could go up. Um, the pace is going to be a little bit quicker. I think that's, that's an advantage to some of the younger players. Uh, the tempo rhythm's a little bit better for those guys when it's quicker. Um, so, again, that, that could be 
uh, one of those ingredients for higher scores as well. But um, my guess is, you know, you're probably going to see, I would think, higher scores. Much higher? Probably not. But, um, you know, when you got less transition and you can park yourself once you get lined up, I think that's an advantage for most players. And what advice do you have for that guy then because of the pace quickening to where they're, you're, when you're trying to process your shots and if you make a bad shot or if you leave a 10-pin or if you leave a 4-pin, what advice do you have for them as far as how to process things? Because now you got to be moving quicker or do you just slow down your pace and you still use all the time you have that's allotted by the USBC? Well, I think, Tim, it comes down to preparation. You know, when you start preparing for that tournament, you know, pace is part of your preparation. Uh, going into next year's tournament, knowing it's going to be a little quicker, you got two less guys, uh, and, and they want you to get done quicker because they want more squads, uh, opportunity for more squads. I, I think when you practice, you need to practice with four guys on a pair uh, just just so you can make you know some of those uh, post-routine moves uh, collecting some of that information every shot, making those those moves quickly. So when you're back up on the approach, uh, you've made the move and and uh, you can perform based on that move. So it's all preparation. Mike, how do we see the lanes transition differently when someone is using urethane on the pair, whether that's one or two or three bowlers? And what is the difference between a urethane transition and what you'll see with the reactive resins? I think the big difference, uh, Tim, between urethane and some of those high-performance cover stocks today, the resins, is urethane, the absorption rate is very slow, if, if any. Um, and when you, don't, when you have a cover like urethane that doesn't absorb oil, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to drag that oil down. I, you know, some of the uh, after effects I have seen on a lane with urethane is, you know, I've seen oil streaks three to four feet from the end of the pattern. What that creates is it's it creates more hang at, at the end of the pattern where higher performance cover stocks like resin, you know, we've got high absorption rates and most of that oil is in the skid phase in the first 15 feet. Um, so the ball, you, you know, you'll see the ball slowing down sooner where when you've got, when you've got urethane, some of that oil has pushed to the end, you start seeing less and less angle at the back. So, and then you've got to, you know, you got to start making moves, either making moves on a lane um, with your feet, some guys move to the right of that for right-handers. Um, some guys will slow ball speed, so the ball's got more time to slow down to, to keep that, that entry angle at the back. Your uh, so thing's much, much trickier than you know, what we see today with those high-performance cover stocks is you know, the, the oil's starting to deplete, the front's getting beat up, skid phase is shortening, and those are, those are just launch angle moves in the front where you start moving your feet more than your target. This whole urethane craze, Mike, really seems seems to have started over the past five to maybe six years again, maybe ten years, somewhere in that range. Do you, do you recall what started this whole you know whole I mean cycle back to urethane? I mean there there have always been a few that were out there for people that would maybe use on some of the shorter PBA patterns, but it, it just seems like you said every year nowadays. I mean you you have to have a urethane piece with you at all times, pretty much, or most of the younger people do definitely. I think what started it was uh, just over the last decade, the lanes don't get a chance to transition as long as years ago. When I first came out on tour, Tim, they oiled lanes in the morning and they never touched them the rest of the day. Today, between blocks, everything is pretty much fresh. 
It's not everything's played from front to back. It's the key today is can you create the shape at the end of the pattern that the lane is the conditions is asking for. And a lot of guys with high rev rates, the high rev players, that shape when it's when it's shorter and, and there's a lot of response at the back, you know, to shape it properly is, is more difficult. You gotta do a lot of things with your hand to soften your hand, you know, slow your hand down a little bit at the bottom. Um, and your thing creates that right right out of the box. Uh, it creates a, a much smoother shape, a slower response at the back. And it, it just um, it simplifies the game. And um, when you can keep the game simple, uh, it makes it easier to execute and perform at a higher level. So I think that was the, the start of it, uh, just trying to control the back end. Mike Shady joining me in the Above180.com podcast. Mike, over the summer, you take some time to do some camps all across the country. You do, um, you do some coaching. And so let's talk about that, though, for someone who maybe went to one of your camps or uh, someone who, who saw a coach on their own and tried to improve their game. What advice do you have for them regarding their expectations after that lesson? Well, I, you know, just to kind of back up a little bit, Tim, just the, the difference between a, uh, a camp or a clinic versus a personal lesson is it's really personalized. When you work one-on-one with a coach, everything is based on your personal goals. Um, and you can really, really delegate where you want that lesson to go based on what that, that bowler wants, whether it's more physical, whether it's more uh, maybe it's process with a mental game, whether it's more uh, things across the fall line, lane play, ball motion tools, um, things like that. Or in my camps or most clinics, camps that are offered around the country, is you know, it's more of a shotgun approach. You get a chance to work with uh, more than one coach, um, it's more general, even though all those areas I just mentioned individually with the coach are still covered, but less personalized because, uh, you know, instead of a one-on-one, for example, my camps are usually one to four, one to five uh, ratio, one, one coach to every four or five players. So you don't get as much time with a coach, uh, but there are some advantages there that uh, you can cover more in a short period of time and you get an opportunity to, you know, work with different coaches. You know, my Wisconsin camp, I had three Team USA coaches. I had Coach Andy Dirks, Bill Spigner, and myself. And and that's those are really good coaches uh, that players get a chance to work with. So they get to, to listen to and work with uh, just different uh, mindsets of really high-performance coaches. Now, what to do with that after you're done with it is, you know, you – you, the, the map has been drawn either by the personal coach or one-on-one or the clinic coach on how to get better. And then you got to take that back to your, your preparation and your practice time and, and start implementing some of those things into your, uh, your practice session so you can improve and develop some of that muscle memory, some of those techniques that were discussed and, and worked on uh, to a point where you can use them in a competitive setting. Because they're only tools uh, until you get a chance to to execute those tools, and then they become something that is used to, to perform at a much higher level. You know, I always tell my players that I am not very good with with construction tools, and I have a a high end Dewalt uh, circular saw that my wife bought me years ago, but I've never ever used it because I don't know how to use it. My fear is I'd cut my hand off, and it's a great tool. It's an awesome tool, a tool that can be used when it comes to workmanship and 
those type of things. But for me, it's, you know, sits in the box and bowling's using the same principle is unless you can perfect and know how to use those tools in a competitive setting, it's uh, it's really not worth much until you really, really start learning how to use it. So I'm guessing to a lot of people when they come for an individual lesson or even at the coaching clinics that you guys are doing, the main thing everyone will say is I want to increase my revs. I want to increase my revs. Uh, what is the process like to get them there, though? Because it's not just that simple. It's saying, well, here, just do this, and, and you're going to increase your rev rate by 100. Uh, you are, you're correct, Tim. You're the number one question we hear in really all of our, our clinics and our camps and even individual lessons is, you know, they want more energy at the bottom of the swing. They want to increase their rev rate. You know, in my experience, maybe 20 to 30% max you can increase it. And really it's three variables. Um, where is your hand? relative to the center of the bowling ball. You know, you want to work the inside of the bowling ball as much as possible. Two is where are your fingers relative to the equator of the bowling ball? You know, are you are you more cupped? That's under the equator. Or is your wrist more broken? That would be on top of the equator. Two-handers, two-handers are underneath the equator, and that's why they get so much energy. And number three, the third variable for, you know, energy at the bottom of the swing is how fast does that hand exit that some of those fingers exit the bowling ball. You know, the quicker that hand speed, the more opportunity you have to spin it fast off your hand. You know, and, and, and like you mentioned, that question is still the most popular. And that's why we see bowlers today converting from one-handed to two-handed or taking their thumb out because it is a quicker and more efficient way to spin the ball quicker off your hand. And you talk about two-handed players, though. Every two-hander has a little bit different of a delivery style, just like every one-hander does. And I think sometimes that gets lost on people that Jason Belmonte and Kyle Troop, they're not the same bowler. They don't they don't rotate. The, their rotation and their access points are all still different. And sometimes people try to, I think, lump every two-hander into, into one group. Sean Maldonado, another one, you know, for example. But people, these are, they're different. They have different roles, just like one-handers do. Well, there's no question. If you you took a, the in, one thing I didn't mention with with uh, leverage at the bottom release is timing is a huge component of that release at the bottom. And if you look at Belmo, Belmo out of of, of him and Kyle Troop and um, Simonson is the earliest out of those three. Simonson being the latest when it comes to timing, and, and Kyle kind of being in the middle there. Uh, they all have different timings at the bottom. Uh, they all get, um, you know, different roll patterns. Uh, but the one thing, um, you know, the reason I study Belmo so much is it, when it comes to trying to shape the ball at the back, he is the master at seeing what the back, the, the pattern is asking his ball to do when it comes off the hook spot. And he can do it as good, or in my opinion, as better than anybody's ever picked up a bowling ball so but you're right there are different styles of two-handers today and they're starting to evolve just like one-handers uh, and they'll continue to evolve because of what belmo has done in the last 10 to 15 years is he is you know he has uh, transformed the game especially with the youth and with all the youth i work with they all have different two-handed styles some are some look more like belmo some are a little slower in the front, quicker in the front. Some have more vertical tilt, less upper torso tilt. Um, some are softer at the bottom. Some can do it all. Uh, but you'll see the evolution of that game has just started, just begun. 
so Mike, when you're coaching a two-hander, what are some of the things that they come and see you for as opposed to, and are they different than maybe what a one-hander would? Yeah, we still work with balance. Balance is huge, whether it's one or two-handed. Um, there's a lot of similarities between two-handers and one-handers. Uh, balance is huge. And the other thing, too, is most new two-handers, they get way too much counterclockwise rotation with their with their hand. I'm talking about the right-hander. Uh, they just get around it too much, and, and the ball has the, the axis rotation angles much too high. So when it comes out of that break point, at the bottom, at the back of the the, uh, the lane, the response is so strong uh, that you can't control it. So more of more collapse. We really, really work on trying to collapse that hand at the bottom, so that axis rotation is a little less. Uh, so it's it's controllable. And then you know you can start working the different rotation angles, so you get more versatile. But balance um, energy from the top down, from the apex to the, to the release. A lot of young two-handers, new two-handers have too much force. Uh, when you look at Belmo, the way the way he looks today, he's got a lot of one-handed characteristics, but he can he's got that high rev rate and he can adjust ball speeds. Um, you know, if you're a, if you're a two-hander trying to develop into a high-end two-hander, somebody new he's the guy I think you have to study because he's so versatile, so accurate, can can um, duplicate or, or increase, decrease his rev rate, shape the ball at the back. Um, yeah, he's just um, really, really special when it comes to a two-hander. That's the guy, if I was young, that's the guy I'd be YouTubing each oh. and every day to try to get also want to remind folks, please check out one of the sponsors here of the podcast, BowlingThisMonth.com, Bowling's Best and Most Comprehensive Technical Resource, all at your fingertips. All sorts of great stuff to get you prepared for your upcoming tournament and league season. He's got some brand-new ball reviews on your left-hand side, a lot of featured articles right next to that, lots of great stuff. All you need right here at your fingertips, BowlingThisMonth.com. Bill Semsrott and the crew of writers he has do a great job. So, again, check everything out, BowlingThisMonth.com. And another sponsor here, H5G Brands. Please check them out at h5gbrands.com. You have a question, you can email them, sales at h5gbrands.com. Lots of customizable jerseys for you. Thousands of different designs you can make. You can come up with your own, your, your single jersey. You can come up with a team for a jersey. Everything is customizable. you got a college team, a high school team. Again, check them out, h5gbrands.com. Again, I want to highlight something that they're doing. Very neat program with H5G Brands you can do with them. It's called Applause for Your Cause. Long and short of it is you have a cause, whether that's breast cancer awareness, whether that's autism, whether it's Parkinson's, you name it. Lots of great causes out there that bowlers are behind. Well, you write H5G Brands at sales at h5gbrands.com, and guess what? They're going to give you that shirt. Let's say you're coming up with a shirt. They will give you that shirt at cost. They're not going to make a nickel on it. So check them out when you're doing these. Lots of charity things to support. This is a great way to get uh, get some shirts and get awareness out there. Again, email sales at h5gbrands.com. The name of that program is called Applause for Your Cause. Todd and everyone there do a great job with things and, and are supporting people. So, again, check out h5gbrands.com. All right, Mike, let's hit on a few other things here. Tournament play versus league play. We have a lot of people, maybe they take the summer off, they're getting back into things, and into tournaments or leagues. But let's talk about some of the differences on how you approach lanes when you're bowling on a league versus your tournaments and let's say it's a tournament where you're moving pair to pair you're skipping a pair or what have you what what should we be looking for 
as far as uh, transition goes and just how to how to make some quality shots in those early frames to keep us out of trouble? Well, league, league or recreation patterns, for the most part, you know, the ratios are going to be much higher. So the margin of error on the lane is, is much greater. So you've got a high margin of error. Um, yeah, there's, so there's really not much transition you're going to see there. And you don't move pairs. So um, I'm not going to spend too much time there. But when we get into a competitive setting in a tournament, you know, I think the most important thing when you go from pair to pair, Tim, is you must make a quality shot on your first shot. You can't get a read. You've got to collect information after your first shot to, to know what the lane did so you can make a move. If you can't make quality shots, and that's why it's so important to have a good physical game, good technique that's repeatable, uh, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to be consistent when you move in pairs all the time. The other thing, too, is I would, I would look for bowlers who, who roll the ball more like, like yourself, so you, who are ahead of you, so you can disseminate some of those moves or where he or she is playing, and, and you can make those, those transition moves. Uh, communication's huge. You know, we, many bowlers will, will ask the person in front of them uh, what what they saw different from that last pair. I think that's important because, again, it gives you information for the next shot. Your, your goal is always to win the next shot, to stay present. So how do you win the next shot is try to get as much information, either you throwing the ball or asking somebody else. And then just pay attention. You know, pay attention how the ball goes through the pins, um, there's some other things that can help you out, you know, topography, you know, a lot of these big tournaments, we get topography charts on what the lane looks like that can help you out for some of the advanced players. Um, and it's just remember it, those who are bowling in front of you, you will see transition. If you see a lot of your thing bowling in front of you, well, you're going to see more carry down. So that's again, more information you can acquire to put into your next shot. How do you win the next shot? So, you know, the big one here is acquire as much information either either visually or by listening to somebody that you're bowling with. It sounds like, too, another thing you can do if it's not assigned to you when you get down to your pair, and let's say there's six of you on that pair and you're on lane three, so I'll, I'll go third. I'll be 3C. <laughs> so you're not the first one to throw. So you can get more information out of the A and B bowler, hopefully, before you have to throw up there, go up there and throw a shot. Yeah, that's that's uh, very helpful. Yeah, I, I, bowl, uh, I bowl fifth on our USBC t- team. So I get four guys ahead of me telling me, you know, has the lane moved? Was it them? Was it a bad shot? You know, um, I moved two and one. Uh, whatever the move is, again, acquiring information, Put it into your game because you know your game is better than anybody. You should know your game better than anybody else, and make the move. Whether it's a, a lane move with your feet, your target, a ball speed move, whether it's a, a bowling ball move, uh, know how you make transition moves, and then put it into uh, that that frame. You know, win the next shot. All right. Well, Mike, where can folks go to find out more about you and get some uh, get some coaching advice and, and help you out? And, and where can they go for information about you? You can go to my website, uh, PP Bowling. That's Peak Performance Bowling, ppbowling.com. You can email at coachshady at gmail. Um, those are the two best places. All right. Well, Mike Shady, it's always a pleasure catching up for you and um, uh, catching up with you. And thank you for your time today. We uh, very much enjoy when we do have a chance to chat and 
Uh, all the best of luck as we head into the 2019-2020 league season. And then also, more importantly, for a lot of bowlers out there, tournament season as well begins for a lot of folks. And, and, um, and we'll catch up with you again down the road. Maybe we'll try to do something just before the Open Championships in Reno this year to see what, um, what you're hearing from folks out there and, and try to prepare bowlers for, for their trip to Reno this year. Absolutely. And, and again, Tim, uh, it's always a pleasure talking bowling with you. And I appreciate it. Have a great upcoming bowling season and have a great day. Thanks.